Hello there and welcome back imposters to another episode of the You're Not Qualified podcast. My name is Courtney Heater and this is the 24th episode of the pod and the second to last episode of season one which is nutso. So you guys have been listening to me blab on about believing in yourself for just about 24 hours now. Fantastic. So that's a whole day of your life. I am honored and I hope it was a well-spent day. Of course, there are people that this is their first episode that they're listening to. Just so you know, there is a whole library of another 23 episodes before this. So if you like what you hear here, please dive in. There's much more to learn from amazing people that are chasing their dreams when they don't have traditional qualifications to do so. And I am really honored and thrilled to be able to share their stories and encourage all of you to go and do the same. So thank you for being here. So this episode is a fun one. I chat with Brian Sachetta today. He is an author, blogger, and software developer. And the reason that he is here on the You're Not Qualified podcast is because he is a software developer who is dedicated to helping other people suffering from mental health illnesses. He's written books about it. He has a blog about it. He has a whole brand on it. He doesn't have a medical degree. He doesn't have a psychology degree. But the thing is, he doesn't pretend to. He definitely still believes in mental health therapy and getting the necessary required, sometimes assistance that you might need for your particular struggles. But how he does help people is he shares his personal relationship with mental health struggles in the hopes that other people can learn from his experiences. And he has a no bullshit approach, his words, to the mental health conversation and mental health in general. And he just wants to help other people in this very tangible and amazing way that he is able to. I will let him share some more, but I'm so very excited for you to meet him. All right, are you ready? Let's go. Go now! Go drop the banana! Why not? Good source of potassium! We are here today with Brian, a software developer by trade, now turned author and mental health advocate, mental health helper for other people struggling with mental health issues. And uh, he's here to talk to us for the second time because the first time I deleted the zoom file. So we're going to welcome Brian and thank him very much for being patient and coming back. But this is the first time you're, you guys are meeting him. So thank you for being here, Brian. You're welcome. And it's great to be back. And I think that we'll have another great conversation. So good to see you again, Courtney. And uh, thanks for having me on. Your book, Get Out of Your Head, is a series of books. And it is not just a book, it is also a brand, which we will talk about a little bit, but you're on a mission to help people suffering from mental illness. Your background, as I mentioned, is software development though. So in my book, that makes you pretty unqualified for talking about and helping other people through mental illness. Yeah. 
I would say so. Yeah. Along the journey, I have definitely talked to a bunch of different people who have said, hey, I know your background. You are a software developer. Why do you want to do this mental health stuff? What makes you feel as though you're qualified to do it? And then, you know, all over the internet, right? You go into your reviews. Like I'll go on Amazon and look at the reviews for my book, actually both of my books. And a lot of folks will say, hey, this person's not a doctor. They shouldn't be writing about this stuff. Take note of that as you think about buying it or whatever. And it's tough because it's like, I can only do what I can do. I can put up the disclaimers in the books, in the blog. I can tell folks like, I can be very forthright and say, I'm not a doctor. I'm just someone here who's acting as a reporter and a good friend and trying to help you through some of the struggles in by using some of the strategies I developed along the course of my life and my own battles. But in the end, it's if somebody needs that validation of a doctor writing a book about mental health, unfortunately, I, I can't provide that. But it's one of those things that I just let go, right? It's like, I, I can't fight every one of those little battles. So it is what it is. It is what it is. Why would you say that you are uniquely set up to help other people through mental health struggles? Yeah, I think I think the uniqueness comes in the relatability, right? Mm-hmm. You go to a doctor, um, that person has probably diagnosed and treated a lot of different people. That's a really great skill to have. They might not necessarily have been through the same things that you have, so it might not be as easy for them to relate to and empathize with what you're going through. I'm not saying they can't do it. I'm just saying mm-hmm. they they haven't necessarily been, quote unquote, in the trenches with you. And that's the that's the perspective that I bring. I'm like, hey, I am, I've done the things that you've done. I've been through the things that you have and not one-to-one. It's, I guess for, as an example, I haven't necessarily lost anybody that's like really close to me. Like I lost my grandmother, but that's like a, and she was close to me, very close to me, but that's a normal part of life. It's like, she, she lived to 90 years old. That's an amazing feat. And although it's really sad to lose somebody like that, you realize that's, that's how life goes. It was natural causes or whatever. Right. Whereas somebody may have lost somebody due to tragedy, an accident or something like that. So I haven't been through something like that. And and I'm just trying to use a specific example. So that way I can make my point is right is I haven't been through something like that, but I've been through despair and depression and hopelessness and whatnot. And so I try to take those same kinds of feelings and experiences and relate them in the best way I can and in a way that isn't offensive or trying to say, Hey, look at me, I've been through this. I'm not trying to compare the specifics of each situation. I'm trying to compare the feelings and say, Hey, look, I don't necessarily know everything that you've been through, but I've been through those feelings before and they are really tough, but we're, we're going to try to get through them together. So I think that's the unique perspective that I bring is that relatability. And then also the idea of just being a good friend along for the journey, yeah. even though I have a, a tr- tremendous amount of respect for doctors and the, the like hospitals and the medical industry in general, I think that the way that it's set up can be a little bit difficult. That doesn't always necessarily help folks in the way that they need to be helped. So what I'm getting at is you may go see a psychiatrist and that person is running a business. And so it's difficult, right? It's like, they can't necessarily sit there with you for six hours and go through all of your problems. If you wanted to pay for six hours of treatment, you might be able to get that. But a lot of folks who have been to a psychiatrist or a doctor and somebody, a mental health professional, they may feel as though things are a little bit rushed. They get in there for a half hour, they're time boxed. And then the doctor may say, I, I need to end early to take some notes or whatever. And a lot of people will recount this experience of getting a prescription and being shuffled off to whatever uh, comes next in their day. So it's, I can't necessarily be with that person for six hours either, but I can at least try to provide a little bit of that comfort that maybe a more business-oriented medical field doesn't necessarily provide all the time. It's really important that kind of approach because 
in, in my experience with having a therapist and a psychiatrist, you do feel pressed for time when the pandemic hit and everything went to online and then things like Talkspace and other things that you can get through your, your employer came out that were all digital. I was worried that it would become even more rushed because they're seeing even more people, not only because it's easier because it's in your home, but they're seeing more people because more people are suffering mentally because of the pandemic. And it does feel even a little bit more rushed. I still advocate, obviously, I know you do too. It's very important, but having the person that kind of understands from the non-medical perspective to talk to and to learn from, meaning reading their book, I think is super, super helpful because yeah, it feels rushed. It does. Yeah. It's a, an analogy that I give is like when you're watching a TV show and it doesn't feel as though things are wrapped up, but you look at the clock and you say it's 7.55 and the show is supposed to end eight o'clock at the latest. So all this stuff is getting wrapped up in less than five minutes and I'm not ready for this. So you're looking at the clock in the doctor's office being like, okay, I guess I got to jam everything in in the next three minutes, five minutes, whatever it is. And that that's like, again, I, I know that uh, doctors are running these businesses and no fault, like I'm not putting any fault or shame on them or anything like that. I, it's a very a admirable thing to to want to help people, but it, it sometimes just, it leads to those feelings of, again, feeling as though you're rushed and, and we need more than that. That's a really great analogy. And that's also how I feel about the last season of Game of Thrones. That's literally what my, I don't know if you watched it, but that was like, that's exactly what my mind went to. Cause that's the only show I can remember where I was like, they have so much to wrap up in two episodes. And then it was just a big burning pile of S. Yeah. Like, just what do you think you're doing? I, I, oh, I actually did. I did watch that. I don't watch a ton of like traditional TV shows. I, I find as though I enjoy them all. It's one of those things where it's, I don't keep candy in my house, not because I don't candy. It's because if candy was in my house, I eat it all the time. I don't watch long TV shows because I know that I would enjoy most of them. So if I yeah. start one, I'm in trouble. I, I will say, it's funny that you say that in my second book, I have a story like it's a very tangential story, but Game of Thrones is referenced in there. It's the, I was reading an article online. Basically somebody had said what you said, this season, the final season seemed rushed and that it should be remade entirely. And it was this article that I was reading where I talk about, there's this concept in my second book. So it's get out of your head, volume two, navigating the abyss of depression. And I'm going to take this opportunity to go on a little tangent or whatever, but do it. Yeah. Um, so, so there's a chapter in the book uh, called all roots lead to the abyss. And the abyss is a metaphor for depression in general. So it's, we all have triggers that send us into despair or negative feelings, reactivate whatever mental illnesses that we deal with. And so I'm scrolling through this website, uh, actually a technology website. I'm like thinking, what the heck does this have to do with Game of Thrones? But I was watching the TV show, the final, I think there was maybe one or two more episodes left. I, it was probably, you know, right before this, the series finale. And I'm like, I might as well click on this. And so I click on it and I read the first paragraph and it, it said something and I could talk about it if you wanted to, but like it triggered my depression, something that like anytime I deal with this thing, it, it comes back and I was I was so upset. And it was one of those things where it's like, I was doing well mentally for you know previous weeks before that. And then I read this thing and I'm like, oh my goodness. It was the inspiration behind this chapter because of the notion of all roots lead to the abyss. It's basically the idea that anything that you read, see, hear, feel, whatever in your life can possibly lead you back to despair in your mind. And you need to do a, I guess you need to be disciplined with not seeking out 
some of those roots to despair or whatever negative feelings uh, that may exist in your mind. Again, a tangent, but I thought that was interesting. I liked how we were segueing from TV show to TV show and whatnot. Yeah, that it, that is really interesting. And that understanding of avoiding things, but also understanding what your trigger, that's also very important. Like anxiety spirals is something that I've had in the past. And it's, I know exactly what would lead to one. Usually. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. And it, it's not, it's, I've had some folks give me feedback and on all of my books. And I had someone say, oh, that chapter felt a lot like safe spaces and holding yourself up in your house and like being a wimp or whatever it is. That was candid feedback that they had given me. And I was like, okay, maybe I didn't get the point across perfectly well. But what I, it wasn't meant to say, be a wimp or anything like that. It was meant to say like, once you, what is going to trigger you? And it's not everything, right? It's creating a resiliency. Like, obviously we need to be able to get by in the world. We need to be able to, we can't just avoid every single thing in our lives, but the things that trigger us the most, yeah, maybe in time we learn to deal with them. But we, I think we, we discover that if we just go out looking for those things, it's like, be careful what you, you wish for, be careful what you look for sort of thing. If we're going out looking for those things, we're asking for trouble. And so maybe we want to avoid such behavior. Yeah, I, I, would, I would agree. Just three quick things here, friends, before we move on to the next topic. One, since when do I censor myself? I said that the last episode of the Game of Thrones series was a big pile of S. I, I don't know why I didn't just say shit because we always say shit. There's a little E on all of these episodes for a reason because we say those words. We're potty mouths here. This is not intended for children. Uh, number two, I... Love that we got a little segue into anxiety spirals here and the triggers that, you know, Brian experienced and that I've experienced as well in the past. And anxiety spirals are no joke. They are scary. They come on when you sometimes least expect it. I understand now a little bit more of what my actual triggers are in terms of what will lead me to an anxiety spiral. And when we talk about anxiety spirals, in my mind, that means my heart rate will accelerate, I'll get a little bit clammy, and then I overthink one thing. That's the main thing that really gets me. I overthink, I overthink, I overthink, and sometimes my overthinking will actually span into a couple of days. And the last time that happened, I sought out therapy to particularly talk about anxiety and anxiety spirals. And that led to me understanding that I have anxiety. It's nothing to be ashamed about. It's something that I can now get help on through therapy and medication. And it's truly made my life much better place. And it's been um, a lot easier, especially obviously you cannot get rid of anxiety. There's something to say like it's a natural part of you and it is meant to alert you of danger so that you can make a possibly life-saving choice. We evolved with anxiety for a reason, but it just, it overperformed sometimes, and mine was overperforming for me, and so I got help with it, and this is all to say that if you experience anxiety spirals, I encourage you also to get help and listen to your body a little bit, and also if you want a, you know, a friend via a book to lean on. I also really recommend Brian's books, which of course we'll plug more and they'll be in the show notes. Number three, really though, what was that last season and especially the last few episodes 
the whole Game of Thrones series. We deserve an explanation. What the fuck? Could you please not do anything awful for five seconds? Let's get a bit into your books then. Yeah, let's do um, it. In particular. So the Get Out of Your Head, book one, book two, book three on the way. Is that right? Book three is not on the way. It'll happen eventually. Okay. It is just one of those things where I, I was actually doing a podcast last night and the, the host of the podcast asked me, is the third book coming? Mm-hmm. I said, it is in time. I have a general framework for what it might be, but I don't have enough content to go along with it. The other thing that I said to him was I was like, I hope that the universe, God, whatever we want to call it, I hope he, she, I hope they're good to me. The first book was a product of a lot of pain. The second book was a product of a lot of pain. The third book, I hope, I'm hoping I don't have to endure some dark experience in order to write it. It's one of those things where I, you, you play the hand that you're dealt. So it's, hey, I knew that I was going through those things. So let me do my best to turn those experiences into positive ones. At the very least, like turning around and helping people. I I take great pride in that. But at the same time, it's like, I really hope I don't have to go through too much hell for a third book. Because I'll I'll be totally honest with you. The second book was, that was a whirlwind. That was very difficult. And it's not, again, it's not like, I'm not trying to compare. I'm not trying to say that I've been through harder things than anyone else. Just that for me, that was difficult. And I'd prefer not to go through it again. So it's, I have a generic theme for the third book. I have some content in my head and a couple of experiences that can go into that. Mm -hmm. I just hope it doesn't necessarily grow into something larger and more painful uh, than what I'm thinking about at the moment. Yeah. Let's hope that you don't have to, and that's not a method for your madness. That's becoming a trend here that you have to like really go down deep. Can you tell us what the, the first and the second book are about in particular? Yep. So the first book is called Get Out of Your Head, A Toolkit for Living with and Overcoming Anxiety. Second book, again, is Get Out of Your Head, Volume 2, Navigating the Abyss of Depression. The first book is, it's more of, and they are very similar, same brand, same theme, or same author pitching the same kind of content to you. But the first book is a little bit more of, I use that word toolkit in the title or the subtitle to basically indicate that I'm going to throw a lot of different tactics and strategies at you in hopes that you will listen to my stories and relate to them and say, huh, I've dealt with something like that in the past. And I hear this strategy that Brian is trying Brian is trying to tell me about. I'm making the connection between a story and a strategy and saying, okay, the next time that I endure something like this, I'm going to pull out a stra- one of these strategies that, that Brian's talking about. Or, or at the very least, like I'm going to take some of these different tactics, file them away in my head in my quote unquote mental health toolkit. And then when the time comes, when I need them, I'll be able to pull them out and say, okay, I'm in an anxious situation right now. I'm finding myself very scared, very fearful. I'm going to pause. I'm going to do some deep breathing, try to activate my parasympathetic nervous system and calm my body down. Stuff like that. Okay. Love it. And it's also a brand. Your get out of your head is a brand and tagline. I, I think it's a tagline, but it's on your website no bullshit approach to mental health. Yes. So that is actually on the, the shirt that I'm wearing okay. further down. Further I just down. have, yeah, let me see. I don't know if you can see it all. Oh yeah. Yeah. Great. It's down there. Yeah. It's one of those, like, I'm trying to be a little bit more approachable. Like I've had some folks write and say too many swear words or whatever. So I have actually taken that. I've done edits of the books and cut the swear words out uh, on the website. I just like it. I don't know. I think it fits really well. And I okay. use a little asterisk in there to, to not spell the entire word. I don't know. Keep it a little bit clean PG. So that way uh, I can reach a larger audience. Like I said, we're a bunch of potty mouths over here. So I am okay with bullshit. Let's just say 
no bullshit approach. Let's do it. And whoever gave the feedback of too many swear words, tisk tisk. That's just how we express ourselves around here. But that is the ethos, right? It's I'm telling you how uh, I'm telling you things. I'm giving it to you uh, straight. I'm telling yeah. you things as they are. I'm not sugarcoating things. I'm not adding fluff or anything like that. I think when it comes to mental health, right, it's it doesn't really serve us so well to add that fluff, to be vague and whatnot. If you are dealing with something, sure, there there are times when it's okay. I don't. I want to ignore this right now. I'm going to push this this down. And I was talking to a friend recently, and we both said like. That strategy worked for us when we were like 18, but the problem is you push it down, it grows inside of you. And then 10 years later, you're dealing with this beast that is much larger than the original problem. And you're like, oh crap, what do I do now? So I think that obviously we don't want to necessarily walk out of our door with a sword in our hands and be like, anxiety, where are you? Like that sort of thing. That's a little much, but at the same time, I think it's important to be honest with ourselves in where we are, how we're feeling, and then be able to just take that honesty and approach things heads on. Are you ready for a war? In in terms of your background as a software developer, when we talked before, we we pointed out the flow state that you can get into when you're writing some code. Do you feel that same type of almost comfort and yeah, like a zen space when you write? So is like writing that for you as well, or is it even more challenging for you? Was this a really challenging project to take on? It's a great question. I was tossing this idea around in my head yesterday. So I would say it's, I can definitely get to that flow state, but I have to think a lot more. And that is a little bit like against the the notion of like how you get to flow in the first place. A lot of people will say a task that excites you, challenge you challenges you, invigorates you, whatever. So with software development, I don't know. I, I, it might be one of those things where I've written so much software over the last 10 years that I feel as though I don't have to think so much. Like I built a lot of different user interfaces and whatnot. It's like, I can just go. Whereas like I have only written two books and- I don't know, 30, 40 blog pieces or something like that. Obviously you grow up, you write uh, essays for high school and college and whatnot, but there's just a lot more like analysis and critical thinking in my, for me in the writing process than in the software development process. There's also a lot of resistance. There are days where I'm like, I know that it takes me a while to get going. So if I have three hours and I know I want to do some writing like this week or today or whatever it is, I will sometimes say to myself, oh, three hours isn't enough time. It's going to take me 30 minutes, an hour to really get moving. And then by the time I'm seriously in the flow state, I'm not going to want to come out of it. So rather than be disappointed that I have to get out of that state before I want to, I might just not write today. And it's also, there there are times, right, where it is, I'm not trying to be like overdramatic. It's just <laughs> writing, but it, it's a little burdensome, right? It's okay. I got to sit down. Mm-hmm. I got to formulate my thoughts. I got to come up with all these different ideas. And the writing process is, it's not sexy, if, if I can say that. Mm-hmm. It's like software development, for the most part, I sit down, I do it one time, maybe I clean things up a, a little bit, but then I'm done. I might test some stuff out, find a bug, fix that. Writing, it's like the second book, the, my second book, I did, I, it depends on what you call a draft. What's it, where did it start and where did it end versus where it was just editing or whatever. But I definitely wrote three full drafts. And then on the third draft, I edited that thing almost every day for nine months. And then it was done. Oh, God. And that was like, it's just you, 
it's seeing yourself pushing the boulder up the hill and you're like, oh, do I really want to do this again today? If I knew I'd be done next week, I'd be more willing to do this. And in software development, it's like, I know I can crank that feature out in a couple of hours, but with the writing, it's just a little more taxing. That's also. Yeah. It's very Sisyphean. It's very, <laughs> it really is. I do have, I do have a blog post about Sisyphus. So I'd like to, I don't know where it came from, to be honest. I don't know if I just read uh, if, if it's from AP English or something like stuff that I've read over the years, but I, I like to weave in like Greek mythology into some of the blog and just talk about, I, I force the metaphors at times, but I try to make connections between the mental health game and some of the things that like Sisyphus and trying to, uh, what's his name? Odysseus went through. I don't yeah. know. I just find it fun. There's uh, I just read a book and I'm kicking myself now because I forget what the title exactly is, but it's about Achilles and it's written in a modern sense and it's so good, but I'll, I'll edit that in what it is called, but I, I will shoot it over to you if you haven't read it yet, because it's exactly that. It brings it all into language, not only that is easier to understand because if anybody's ever read Odysseus or anything about the Battle of Troy or anything, it's not very easy. So that's really good. I have this terrible habit of not remembering exact titles of books and also like specific details about books. I remember when I was growing up and I, I studied English, I was very, very fond of English for a long time. So I would try to work on this part of my brain and literally I would read a chapter and then write a summary of the chapter and try to be as detailed as possible in terms of people's names and what they did because I would often forget and it's followed me into adulthood and apparently my attempts at making that stop did not work. But the book that I'm talking about here is The Song of Achilles. It is an incredible story. It is written by Madeline Miller. Highly recommend. So the novel is about the Trojan War. I believe I said the <laughs> the Battle of Troy. It is set during the Greek heroic age. So Odysseus is in it. Achilles is in it. And there's like centaurs and there's gods and humans and the mingling uh, sexually of gods and humans. And they produce offspring and Achilles is one of them. And it follows Achilles into the Trojan War. But what's really amazing is it's the viewpoint of Patroclus. And I'm hopefully not completely butchering that name. I did look up how to say it, but there was like three different ways. And the Greek explanation was there, but I did not understand it. So here we are. But Patroclus is Achilles' longtime best friend when he was growing up. And they turned into lovers. So they fell in love and it's Patroclus's viewpoint of Achilles, who he loves fiercely. They are such an amazing example of love in its purest form. It's heart-wrenching to read. It's beautifully written. I cried more than once. Highly, highly, highly recommend it. It focuses on their romantic relationships and the war, and it's just so good. It's so good. I can't even, I can't even say more about it. But this is like a huge long rant again about a book. But I, I recommend that you go read it. Okay, let's get back to it. Did you call me to chit chat, or is there an actual emergency? And I also, I want to say that there is something 
to be said for a passion of yours being sometimes a grind. Because when I like to think of, I do this podcast because I have a message and I really like to talk to people about their journeys into things that they didn't study or what have you. And just people doing whatever the hell they want, honestly, with their lives. And I sometimes will dread editing. I sometimes will dread having to write a script. It's like, sometimes it sucks. But if I tell certain types of people that their answer might be, then you might not want to do it because your passion should fuel you. You should always want to do that. But this is your passion project. You have a full-time job. This is not your full-time job. And you're like, I'm just going to grind through this and it has a greater good, but it doesn't mean you don't want to do it. It's it's just part of the process. I totally agree with that. I think, I I guess my first point is there, there's definitely a lot of similarities, right? Between what I was talking about with writing and and you with the podcast, like Mm -hmm. definitely a lot of, it's like the end goal can be desirable and something that we want to strive for, even if each step isn't necessarily desirable. There's still going to be like, I'm sure the conversation part, you and I sitting down and actually talking like that's super enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah. But the (laughs) slog of maybe editing or writing the script or whatever, that's definitely more challenging. Reminded me of something. Somebody texted me and said, Hey, what made you want to write this second, your second book? And I I don't want to say, again, I'm not trying to sound over dramatic, but I was like, I didn't like, I didn't choose to write this book. This book chose me. And it's, I know it sounds like so arrogant or self-importance or whatever, but it was like you, I've, I think a lot of people can relate to the fact that when you deal with mental illness, you spend so much time in the bowels of your mind. And when that occurs, it's like, you almost say to yourself, what am I to do with this? What am I to do with all these experiences? I can't just sit on them. I have to turn them around and, and do something with them. So obviously people like People may not necessarily, if you you deal with mental illness, you may not say, I'm going to go turn around and start a mental health brand. You may say, I'm going to use this as my creative muse or something like that. I'm going to become a songwriter or a dancer or an artist or whatever. But it's just from personal experience, I've spent so much damn time struggling with this stuff, but obviously I've made a lot of progress and that's reflective in the works. I wouldn't write them without that. But it's like, I look back on all that time and I say to myself, if I don't do something with this it's not entirely wasted because I still have the wins in my own life and I can yeah, apply those personal things. personal journey. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like, it feels bigger than that. And so I, I just wanted to get that message, get my messages out there. And that is the part that sustains me through the grind, the difficult parts. It's okay. Maybe I don't want to write today. Maybe I don't want to uh, put up a blog or whatever, but I, I try to hold on to that end goal. I get messages from some fans and stuff like that. And I'll get one of those and say, damn, I hadn't gotten one of those in a couple of weeks. And that is what I'm doing this for. For somebody to say, this really helped me. That it makes it all worth it. Yeah. A little bit of balancing the difficult stuff with, with the rewards. And it all is part of the process. Like you can't avoid it. If you hate some of it, it's going to be okay. In, in your background, did you have anybody when you were really in the deep, dark depths, challenging mental health situations for you personally? Did you have anybody that said, Maybe you should try writing as an outlet, like writing down your thoughts and your feelings. And did it stem from that at all? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. 
I, I know that my, my mother was incredibly gracious and helpful, loving, supporting. Like she was with me the whole time. So selfless. Would pick me up from college when I wasn't doing well. Going to get a little emotional, keep it under wraps, but it was just like really humbling where to see somebody care about you that much. I know, I know it's my mom, but to like really care that that was so helpful, so important just to show that you're loved when it comes to the like writing and, and that sort of thing. I don't think anybody really said to me, sit down and, and use these, these experiences as a uh, catalyst for writing. I think it was more like, and I talked about this with somebody recently, somebody asked me, why did I write the first book? And I said, I looked at my bucket list one day and there's multiple stories going on here. It's right. It's like when I first started dealing with anxiety, when I was a teenager, I said, I'll figure this thing out and we'll write a book or we'll do something with it. But I lost sight of that. And then you come back to it over the years. And so I remember one, one day, I think I was probably 25 at the time. I'm almost 32 now. I remember looking at my bucket list and I had put on there like that. I wanted to write a book. And I was like, oh yeah, I, I wanted to write one of those like mental health books or whatever. And that was one of those moments where it was like, oh geez, like I've been taking so many notes over the years. I have all these different strategies in my head that I've taken with me into situations where I felt fearful. And I've got, I, I dumped it all into a Word document. It was like 30 pages, maybe 50 pages. I forget. It was a ton of notes. And at that point it was like... It, some sort of lining up of, oh, I've done some of this work already and I have this goal. It makes sense to bring these two things together. And it's so weird, right? Where it's, I think a lot of people will find, if you talk to like CEOs of companies and whatnot, they may say, I started this company or this job, like just because it was the right, it was an opportunity at the time. And then like looking back, they see all this meaning that they created. They see that it is now like the right path for them. I didn't necessarily say to myself, I'm going to start this brand. I'm going to write multiple books. I'm going to go on all these podcasts and whatnot. But looking back, it's like, oh yeah, what other decision did I have? If that makes sense. Yeah. That was your calling. It was like the books told you to write them. It's, it's no different in my mind than a fictional writer where they have a character and the character is basically, it's, it doesn't exist to the rest of us, but it's very much to a, like a, almost like a physical person for that writer. So all of those experiences for you needed to have an outlet. Definitely. Yeah. Have you thought about doing a foray into fiction? I, I would almost guarantee I never do fiction. That sounds like something out of science fiction. You live in a spaceship, dear. I'm, I will never say never to anything, but I am pretty certain I'm not going to do fiction. I've just got a lot of other ideas. Like, I think for me, for the writing stuff, it's like, if I did go into a new path, it would probably be like tech, talking about founder stories and startups and stuff like that, because I have a lot of mm. uh, experience and background there. And I actually have a lot of friends who have started companies and they're like, hey, in, in however many years when my story is, when we've sold the company and whatever, like maybe you can write the story. And we're joking around, but I don't know. I, I Fiction, I'll be like totally honest. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of fiction in general. Mm. I have read Harry Potter 10 times, like the entire series. Harry Potter. Who's Harry Potter? Oh, no one. Bit of a toss already. <laughs> and I love it, but I always get confused when I like, I've read Game of Thrones. It was okay for me. I've read other fiction series and they just don't do it for me. So I'm like, I, I don't know. I don't have the same passion for the genre as a fan that I think I would need in order to write it. So I, I'm probably not going down that path. I think you're right. I've heard a lot of people say to be a good fiction writer, you have to read a lot of fiction. Yeah. That makes sense to me. I love fiction. So anytime, if you ever get an inkling, I would 100% support it. But nice. I get if it's not your thing, but Harry Potter is a good choice. 
it's awesome because it's like a good enough length where by the time I finish it, I can basically restart it because I'm not like, I don't have every single night available where I'm reading the series and, until it's done. It's I'll pick it up. I'll put it back down. I'll pick, pick it back up. And then a year later or something, I finished it and then I can slowly start back up. And I actually, during COVID, I did that because it was like, you know, people were looking for more things to do myself included. So it was like, I read the series once and then I picked it back up again. And then I got busy last year and I uh, put it down, but I am meaning to get back to it at some point. Your background in software development, there is a lot of talk about transferable skills on my podcast in particular. Did you develop anything that you would say has really helped you in developing your brand now as a whole? Looking at the brand from a high level, I'd say probably not. I think where I get the inspiration from my you know, professional career or full-time job is more in the weeds of like the blog posts that I write, the connections that I try to make between computer systems and the human mind and stuff like that. So if you go through the blog and even it's scattered throughout both of my books, I just try to, I try to weave in some of my experiences. It's like, it's hard for somebody to spend 40 plus hours a week, like writing software and not have that bleed into what they do nights and weekends whatsoever. Yeah. That makes sense. What are your other hobbies? I do. I, like, I love food. Uh, I am actually a vegan or mostly a vegan. So like, I, I love like searching out different places where like new vegan spots or driving to places, trying out the different fare and whatnot, which the food side of things leads me to watch a lot of the food network, which is great. Play mm -hmm. basketball and football, which is a lot of fun. Love music. Like I'm really big into heavy metal, which you will probably like, if you go on the website, oh, that's the tie-in of the, that's why yeah. the, that's partly why the brand looks like it does. The other part is the wanting to be honest about what we're dealing with and approach our, our troubles head on. That makes so much sense because I think it was the last time I was talking about the brand and I couldn't quite put my finger on it. And I was like, what does this remind me of? It's yep. a heavy a metal band. Yeah. People are like, it's a heavy metal band or like a minor league hockey team. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Also that. Yep. Yeah. That's so good. Are you a hockey fan? I don't watch as much hockey, more, more into the NFL and the NBA. Yeah. We I, just got a hockey team. So in Seattle. Oh yeah. The Kraken. Yeah. I, it's one of those things I wish I liked hockey more, or I would like to get into it more, but it's, I, I find myself, you prioritize your day and you're like, oh, I get a little time. I get time for Sunday NFL games, the yeah. occasional NBA game, but I haven't found as much time for hockey. I'm, I'm trying to do it a little bit. I live in Boston and the Bruins are big here and we just, you know, made a couple of trades. So that was fun. And the playoffs are always super exciting, but I just, you kind of, again, you prioritize like what you want to do with your day-to-day -day life or whatever. And hockey has evaded that a little bit for me, but not to say I don't enjoy it at all. Yeah. And Seattle is now mourning the loss of Russell Wilson. <laughs> yep. That was, um, that <laughs> was a big was one. Pretty distraught. Yeah. I'm a Packers fan. So I'm just glad that Aaron Rodgers is on for another couple of years, even though he's a little bit controversial these days, but yeah, you know. controversial. And I don't know who he's going to throw to this year. So we'll find out. Oh yeah. That's a good point. Gosh, darn it. I just don't want anything to change. That's it. It's, it's all about us. They shouldn't change things. You, you're talking about your like free time and how very little of it we have. So you probably do more work on your side passion project than I do on mine, along with your full-time job. Do you have goals or any ambition to make this a full-time, like full-time writer, full-time brand manager? Like my philosophy is basically put my hands in a bunch of different buckets mm. or step up to the plate and swing the bat a bunch. 
and see, yeah, I'm obviously using a couple different analogies here, but see which bucket gets filled up, see which swing helps me hit a double, helps me hit a triple, whatever it is. I, I obviously got to be honest. I got you, you work for Meta and it's, I think we know that being in the software world, it's lucrative. And it's also um, something that I really do enjoy. We talked about on the first recording of this episode that work, good work is helps you achieve a flow state. And also uh, for me, like good work is therapy. And I think being able to, people will say, oh, go follow your passion or whatever it is. I'm a little bit more of, I'm just trying to assess whatever is put in front of me, assess every single aspect of it, and then make a decision as to which one of leads me to the best place. So I know that writing would be, it's, it's something that I'm interested in full-time, but if the decision were, hey, give up uh, your paycheck in the tech world and sell however many books and make $12,000 a year. I, I don't know if I can really do that. I obviously <laughs> have to pay the bills and uh, pay for my apartment and whatnot. So it's one of those things where it's like, uh, in many ways, my full-time job has allowed me to pursue the writing, which has been awesome. So it's almost like I've, the full-time job has been even more validated by the writing. Mm -hmm. At the same time, if things start to take off a little bit more, improve a little bit more, then I would certainly entertain it. Um, I guess the other thing that I think about is just the path. I would want to sit down and say, hey, here's the plan. If all I was thinking was I'm going to write a third book and then I'm not sure what happens after that, there's not really like a, there might not be a career there. So it's like, I just want to make sure I have my ducks in a row. Yeah. Uh, Long-winded way of saying, we will see. We will see. Same here. There's a lot of people that I talk to are like, when I'm like, I do this podcast, I have like a relationship to, I have friends, I have like social obligations, but I also have a full-time job. And resoundingly, the question I always get is how the hell do you have all of this time? And I'm like, we heard that Beyonce thing. Like Beyonce has 24 hours in a day. Like, I'm not saying I'm Beyonce, but we all just have 24 hours a day. I don't have assistants. She has assistants, but it's, you find it, you structure your time. And I'm really curious for those people that are wanting to pursue side passions, but they don't think that they have the time for it. How do you make the time to yeah, do this? I think this is a good tie-in for the software development stuff, right? Like on when it comes to tech and writing software, it's like we're all about efficiency. We we don't want to uh, yeah. uh, you know, we don't want to overburden the CPU, the the graphics chip, all, all, like the memory, everything that's going on in the computer. So it's like every line of code that we're writing, we're, I mean, to a degree, we're trying to make sure that we're not um, placing too much tax on the system. For me, I, I take that theme of efficiency into my own life where it's like, how do I, how do I combine things? And it, it's not the same as multitasking because really multitasking doesn't totally exist. It's more, okay, I want to read a, this specific book, but I need to do something else. In, like I, I hold something at a higher priority than sitting down and reading that book. Maybe I'll grab it on audiobook and I'll listen to it as I take the train to, to work or I walk around the neighborhood and get some exercise or something like that. So a little bit of that stuff. It's, I may meal prep. So it's okay. I'm maybe I'm eating the same thing every day this week. And that's a little bit of a sacrifice versus the variety and good taste and all that stuff. But 
that then allows me to be freed up later in the week where I'm not cooking meals every single night of the week. I'm not washing dishes every night of the week. So just trying to find little hacks like that, if you will, as I'm exercising again, same kind of thing. I might listen to a podcast, mm-hmm. might listen to an audio book. I may also decide, Hey, I need to listen to music today. That's where, that's where I'm at there. That's where my head's at. That's how I'm feeling. But just trying to like, obviously I don't want to be too strict with it because mm-hmm. at, there are definitely times where you need the rest. You need the re- relaxation. You can't be high strung all the time, but I do try to be efficient with my time because it's like the alternative is I just don't get done what I want to get done. So, um, and I try my best not to sacrifice sleep either. So it's okay. If I, if this is all I can get done and I need to be in bed for eight hours or whatever it is, then that's all I can get done. If there's like a serious deadline, I will maybe cut back on the sleep, but that's not something that I want to turn into a habit whatsoever. So. Are you the type that thrives on having a pretty full schedule and like you can work and not feel like you like are needing relaxation? Because I'm the type I need to schedule a full day off of everything, like even like social obligations. Can you just go? Yeah, I don't want to like, I don't want to like glamorize it though. It's I like to go because it's also therapy. If I sit around and I have nothing to do, my mind wanders and I go to bad places. So having a full schedule is healthy for me. At the same time, having too full of a schedule can become very stressing for me. And so I need to get that like Goldilocks effect where I'm trying to not too much, not too little. Um, But it's a delicate balance. And it's also one day you're all stressed out and you're like, I got to get all these things done and you get them done. And then the next day you're like, I got all that done. I have literally nothing left to do. And then you go back into, for me, I go back into, oh, I'm bored and my mind is now wandering into bad places. I can go and I'm not, it's not a humble brag or anything like that. It's, I, it's that I know what my, what I need in order to help my mind out. So that's the way that I like to structure. I don't think that's negative at all. I liken that to needing to take that walk every day or needing to exercise in order to feel mentally well. Like if that's just your mentally well. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. it's again, coming back to that balance, it's, it can easily tip it over into the other side where without us even realizing it, where it's like, oh, all of a sudden I'm not mentally well and my schedule is crazy. So it's definitely tough at times, but you just got to keep your finger on it. Yeah. Let's switch into a, a topic on mental health in general. So the world's in a crazy place right now. That's not a surprise to anybody. And there is, there has been what I can view as from my very novice perspective, a mental health crisis right now. Do you feel the same way one? And do you think that it's the worst it's been in a very long time? Do you think that the mental health crisis is getting enough attention and help where it's needed? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think I don't want to jump into semantics because yeah. uh, that's like not the intention of, of the question. I, I would say that we are in a mental health crisis, whether or not there is some specific, you know, metrics around what constitutes a crisis or not. And that's why I don't want to get into the semantics. But if you look at the statistics simply around like deaths of despair, people are dying from alcoholism, overdoses, the life expectancy is falling because of that. It's hard not to look at, even though those are just a couple statistics, it's hard not to look at those and say something seriously wrong here. And I think, I think that one thing that was positive about COVID, and I don't I like, I don't want that to be twisted. COVID was bad. But one thing that was a silver lining about COVID was that we were all forced into reckoning with our, we were all placed into situations where mental health became 
it, it came to the forefront. And so a lot of us, I think more people than before were, were faced, facing anxiety, depression, and whatnot, and being trapped in our houses, not having the social outlets that we had before. It was almost one of those things where it was like, we all got to start, talk, start talking about this. Otherwise, we're going to be one of those statistics as well. And so I think in a lot of ways, the conversation has grown around mental health during COVID and during the last couple of years. And that's great. Yeah, I think at the same time, we still have a long way to go. You look at the statistics and you say, unfortunately, we still lose people to mental illness. And I think anytime that you see that statistic, it just shows you like there, there is still a lot of progress to be made. I think the other thing too, is as the conversation grows, I want to make sure this, this is how I approach it. And also I, I hope that society approaches it as well is as the conversation grows and normalizes, I don't want the conversation to become downplayed or trivial, trivialized or actually normalized. It's like people are still dealing with suffering of tremendous proportion. And it's, I think when, unfortunately you see like people on social media being, Oh, I was so anxious today. Influencers, like almost trying to like monetize like being mm. anxious, but like, you know, Oh, I'm so anxious, like buy my lip gloss or something. It's like, that's definitely not where we should be going with this. Mm. This is still, again, I'm using the same word. This is still tremendous suffering that people are going through. And we need to make sure that the, uh, the conversation stays honest. And then also we give people the space that they need in order to cope and in order to, uh, to find help. I don't know. That's a little bit of a rant, but that's where I'm, that's where I'm seeing it at the moment. And uh, that's just how I feel. Mm-hmm. In your books, do you uh, share where you have found resources to help your mental health journey for other people to add into their own toolboxes and like solutions? Yeah, solutions I mean, is a wrong word, but yeah. Yeah. So it's, I might not necessarily always say where I got a strategy from. Okay. One of, one of the reasons for that is it's hard to know. It's like, sometimes yeah. I think you think back to like high school and your teacher would check your paper for plagiarism or something like that. And if you put it through a plagiarism filter, it would find some things. Oops. Clumsy, clumsy hippos. And it's like, oh, geez, like maybe somebody said that to me. Maybe I read that five years ago, six years ago, whatever it was. Uh, I, I wasn't intentionally trying to do anything like that or whatever. But so it was like, it was almost a lot of the, the things that I talk about, right? I may put forth some maxims or like societal wisdom or whatever. And it's, I obviously didn't come up with those phrases. At the same time, I, I don't necessarily remember exactly where I heard them, where I found them. So mm-hmm. I might just say, hey, this is the end strategy, the end phrase, whatever, whatever you want to call it. I might not be able to remember where it came from, but I'll just say, here's what it is. Here's why it's helpful. Here's why you should use it. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, that's sounds really helpful. And I feel like the, for me, the, at least the biggest help would be you've gone through it. You're talking about it. You're being very vulnerable. You're literally like opening yourself up and putting it on a page for the whole world to read. And that's amazing in itself. Thanks. Yeah. It's, it's, I think it's definitely scary. Mm. I've definitely put things in the books that it's, if I had a in-person conversation with somebody, it would be a difficult conversation, but Mm. I, I don't know if there's, for me, I don't feel as though there's much of an alternative. I think about, and it's, I'm not trying to take on other people's burdens, so to speak, but it's like, who am I to withhold that story when telling it could help somebody could potentially save someone. So that that's how I look at it. It's a beautiful way to look at it. I feel like everybody has a story to tell and some of them are more painful than others, but telling it could help another person. So as a consumer of your products, of any of your products, what do you want 
people to take away from it. If you had, I want you to at least take this one or two pieces of golden nugget away from what I'm giving you. What are those pieces? Yeah, I think one of the core things that I come back to is just like behind uh, the ethos of the brand. It's like, get out of your head. So the notion there, um, what I'm getting at is telling folks to stop ruminating, to stop turning over thoughts in their minds. I think that we are bred into this society that is becoming more analytical, more prone to critical thinking. And that's great in certain areas of our lives. But when it comes to anxiety, when it comes to depression, when we turn over thoughts that don't serve us, uh, we can really fall into some seriously dark places. And I think that there is also a little bit, we hear these different societal uh, notions throughout our lives where it's people will talk about the secret and things like that, where it's like, hey, anything that you want in your life, if you don't visualize it first, if you don't see it in your mind, you won't get it. And so I struggled with that kind of notion as a kid where it was like, and I wouldn't even necessarily say a kid, like I would say for 20, 25 years, where it's like, okay, I'm sitting down. I can't picture this thing in my mind. Oh, geez, now I'm stressed out. I know that I need to picture it in order to feel as though I'm going to get it and uh, ultimately wind up with it. That can lead us to our own, like to going back into our head saying, told me that if I don't picture myself with the the sports car, with the job, whatever it is, I'm not going to get it. And so those sorts of arguments or those kinds of maxims that live in society, right? It's like they push us into rumination a little bit more. And so for me, I am trying, like one of the things that I constantly come back to in the writings with the brand is being able to give folks permission to put down thoughts that don't serve them. I am a firm believer that if you think about so many things that you do in your life or you have uh, experienced in your life that you didn't think about at all, it's like, how do you explain those things away? Just giving folks again, that, that permission to be able to say, look, these thoughts are not serving you. If anything, they're making you feel much, much worse. At the very least, why don't you drop them? And then even if you don't get the thing that you want, at least you don't have all these terrible feelings that you're dealing with right now. Yeah. They don't serve you. Get them the heck out of there. And it's, you don't have to feel bad. Like it's not a burden that you have to take on. Like I used to think that having anxiety was just a normal way to feel. It's not. And you don't have to suffer with it. There's solutions. Definitely. So where can people find you and find your books and your whole brand? Yeah, two good places. A first one would be my website, getoutofyourhead.com. All one word on that, no dashes, no spaces. And then right now, social media is mostly Instagram. I will try to expand that in the future. But again, coming back down to time and prioritization and whatnot. On Instagram, the handle is get out of your head. Uh, No spaces, no dashes on that either. Please feel free to reach out to me. I love to uh, talk with listeners, readers, fans, all that sort of stuff. It's uh, definitely a rewarding part of the process. Awesome. Anything else that you would like to leave people with that we didn't cover? I end a lot of these conversations just by saying a message and a reminder to folks, if you're struggling with something, you are definitely not alone. There are folks like myself, I put my hand up and say, I've been through some of the things that you've been through as well. Hopefully that helps you find a little bit of solidarity, but also if you want to reach out and you know have a conversation with me or whatever and talk about some of those things, please know that's an option too. That's awesome. Thank you for offering that. It's a big, you don't have a lot of time on your hands. So that's really awesome to be able to give your time like that. Okay, Brian, I really appreciate you coming back on again. Thank you so much for your time. Anytime. It was a lot of fun. So yeah, I I think so too. And I hope to see you again. Awesome. Likewise. Hey, yo, end of the episode. Welcome. So I really can't top 
that last bit of the conversation with Brian in this sign-off. Beautiful souls exist on this planet to help you and your loved ones through difficult times. They may take the form of therapists that you go to. They may take the form of friends that you go to. They may take the form of books that you read that might help you through very difficult times. They may take the form of all of those things. And if you feel pulled to help people and you are afraid to reach out or you are afraid to stretch yourself in that way, know that you have unique perspectives to offer and diving into your expertise in other areas may just unearth skills you didn't know you had to stretch into other avenues. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope that you took something away from this episode and you could engage with it and maybe even engage with Brian later on. He is a gem of a human, as I'm sure you realized. Where can you find me? I am on Instagram at YNYN as a Nancy Q pod. I am on TikTok at the same handle at YNQPod. You can reach me by email. That's a great place to get in touch if you would like to, one, be a guest on this show, or two, know somebody who is a great guest for this show. And that's YNQPod at gmail.com. Please get in touch. I am on Twitter at YNQPodcast. Or you can find my website, and that has my email as well as Instagram listed there, and that's yourenotqualifiedpodcast.com. Okay, so just a little bit of trivia. We mentioned Game of Thrones and my just utmost disdain for how it ended, but the rest of it was just fucking phenomenal. So Game of Thrones, how many Emmys did they win? Because it's award show season... And it's on the top of everybody's mind. Does anybody have a guess? Anybody? Game of Thrones won 59 Emmys. And I'm just saying, maybe if they had wrapped up the end of the series a little better, it might have been 60. Who knows? But not too much shit to talk because it is amazing. It's an amazing creative feat. And the books are equally uh, more amazing, you know, honestly, they really are. And I just couldn't believe that they could pull out what they did from those books and make it into such an incredible series that it was. Uh, So I guess this is to say I do really love it, but I was just disappointed. You know, you can love something and be disappointed. That's, you know, your parents (laughs) Uh, to you or to me. Thank you again so much for listening to this 24th episode of the You're Not Qualified podcast. I am, I can't say this enough and I say it all the time. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited that you listen and I am so excited that you now know Brian and I really hope that you do reach out to him and you are a little bit more empowered to go after whatever you want, even if it's in the realm of helping people. Just as I said in the first episode, we're not prescribing medication here. Like don't do none of that. You know, like stay within the bounds, but stretch, stretch and go do that thing, friends. All right. I will see you next Thursday. Bye.